Listen, I, I got to tell you, I want to begin by asking you a very important question. How many of you know who Mick Jagger is, the lead singer of the Rolling Stones? Can I see your hands, please? Now, let me ask you a su second, subsequent, and equally important question. How many of you are better looking than Mick Jagger? Can I see your hands, please? <laughs> now, if you didn't raise your hand, please come forward that I can cast a demon of ugly out of you. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you can sing better than the Rolling Stones? Can I see your hands? <laughs> now, you should have all had your hands raised up. I mean, how many of the worship team did better than the Rolling Stones? <laughs> Unless I miss my guess, you can probably dance better than the Rolling Stones. How many of them got that kind of spastic thing going on when they're up? <laughs> you say, why are you bringing that up? Because some years back, I was in a hotel room, and the cover was the... Uh, the HBO cover was a picture of the Rolling Stones because they were the leading concert tour in the world that year. Now stop and think about that. How I many of you guys know they're old? Come on, they're old. They're ugly. They cannot sing. They cannot dance. Yet teenage girls young enough to be their grandchildren are filling up auditoriums listening to the Rolling Stones. How much more should we get excited when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes into a place? Come on, let's do it right. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Come on, somebody. Welcome King Jesus into your place this morning. <laughs> Bless you, you may be seated. Sam, would you bring me some of that product up here? Um, I just brought the one book with me. This was just recently released. And so... Uh, <clears throat> if, you, if you're interested in other things we've done, the other five books are on the, the website, but this one is called The Missing Ingredient. Uh, we released this February last year. Some people at TBN heard about it. We went on TBN, I did an interview there, and in that interview, after that interview, this book shot the number one new release the next day uh, because of the revolution it's causing. The missing ingredient is heart beliefs. How to renew your mind, establish your heart, and transform your personal belief system. So many people are not caught in stagnation, and they find themselves stuck at the same place year after year. How many know it's time to break that off the body of Christ? And so this book is caused a revolution. So we have it. It's back there. I don't even know what we're selling for. I think it's back there for $15. But I will give this one to somebody who wants it. Who wants this book right here? There your hand. What's up there? Where you go? All right, you won't be a wide receiver of my team, but a good job. <laughs> and so then we have a workbook that goes with this. There are pastors and small groups all over the nation now that are using this. And a pastor recently told me this, doing this with our small groups has caused a revolution in our church. So I'll give this one to somebody too. Who wants this? Here you go, right there. Okay. We're going to have to have a healing service afterwards if I'm not careful. <laughs> And then, this is probably one of the most revolutionary things we have. These are Barry Buster's Biblical Meditation Tapes. So, if it's about renewing your mind, establishing your heart, and transforming your personal belief system. So, this is all about how to get beliefs out of your head into our hearts. We have become a cognitive church when what happens is belief is manifested out of the heart. And so, I want to encourage you, these Biblical Meditation Tapes, we've had people all over the world who are listening to these. We've got nine of them. We have one on healing. I'll tell you some stories about 
what takes place with the healing one. But we've had people that are healed all over the world by listening to this biblical meditation tape on healing. We have them on prosperity. We have them on love, on joy, and peace, on righteousness. And this is causing a revolution, perhaps as much as anyone else. Who would like a copy of these? Go back and buy one, you cheap things. <laughs> and then we have it also. I have it in a manual. So. <laughs> you guys ready for the word? Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Mark. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. In 40 years of ministry, I cannot remember. And, and let me just say this. I am so glad to be back in this church for lots of reasons. But the biggest is just Mitch and Susan. How many of you know there's not many people that you can begin to have who lead a congregation, who have the heart, the passion, and the knowledge, and the love of God that these people have. You are blessed to have them as your pastors. I consider him a friend. I cannot remember in 40 years of ministry beginning a message with a prophetic word. But I want to give you a prophetic word for 2019. And let me set it up in its context. At the end of last year, the last weekend of last year on a Saturday, I was home, I was just casually getting ready to watch some football, and all of a sudden I get this call from our pastor. Pastor Paul Doherty, our little struggling 12,000-member church in Tulsa. He says, Ron, I, I'm stuck in New York, and I cannot get back in time to do the service tonight. He says, can you take the service? I said, sure. And I began praying about 2019. And as I was praying, God began to speak to me about this year. And I want you to hear what he said to me. He said, for believers in 2019... He said, here's what he's saying. It is less important what happens around you than happens within you. Listen to me again. For believers in 2019, it's far less important what happens around you than happens within you. Because what happens within you creates the kingdom around you. Amen. Now, we're in a war. We're in a cultural war. No commentary needed. We're in a political war. No commentary needed. We're in a spiritual war, no commentary needed. And we're in a physical war as well. So therefore, it's far more important what happens within you than what happens around you because what happens within you is what's going to produce the kingdom around you. Then I heard the Lord say this, no, no, no. Stop saying that you're waiting on me. He said, I am waiting on you. So therefore, he said in this year, it's a year to accelerate. Accelerate in this year. For he said, this is going to be a year of breaking thresholds. And so he said this. I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm bidding people in my body to come forth and cross that line and be established in the manifestation of my kingdom in 2019. Come on, is anybody ready? All right, so I want to talk to you about threshold breaking faith. Threshold breaking faith. And in the interest of time, I'm going to skip some opening illustrations and just tell it to you this way. In, in February, when I released this book, I had some friends at Trinity Broadcasting Network, TBN. And when they heard about the release of this book, they invited me to come on and do the show. 
Matt and Lori were supposed to interview me. They got tied up with some things. This is the number two guy at the station, Tom Newman, who's a great friend of mine, interviewed me on the station. And so I flew in the day before I was to do the interview. And then late that afternoon, I had lunch with Tom. We talked a little bit about the book and what was happening for 2019. And then before we went on and did the interview that night, I went in to do the makeup and, and changed my clothes and went on the set. And I was bantering with some of the people. When the girl who did the makeup came over to redo my makeup, how many of you know I need all the help I can get? Come on, so I need all the help I can get. So she's redoing the makeup. And she said, why did you write this book? Here's what I said to her. Because in my travels around the nation and the nations, what I have begun to see is I get this one question over and over again. Why is it what I say I believe and what I actually experience, two different things? I say I believe in healing. How many of you believe in healing is in the atonement? Then why don't we see more healing than we do? We say we believe in prosperity. And yet there are countless believers who are struggling to just barely get by in their lives. We say we believe that it's God's will for us to be free, and yet countless believers are bound. We have this limitless gospel, but we lead a limited life. Come on, how many of you know it's time to break those limitations off our lives in 2019? And so I began taking a look at some things. And in the process, I came across a book called Mentored by a Millionaire, written by the, a man by the name of Stephen Scott, secular book, but he was interviewed on TBN the month before I was. And we found some things. If you put those up on the screen, here's what we found. There were four questions. You got those up there, guys? Now watch this. He said there are four kinds of people on planet Earth. He said, number one, there are drifters. Drifters are just people who drift along in life. So whatever life throws at them, they just drift along that way. He said 50% of people are drifters. Then he said there are pursuers. People who are pursuers who pursue after a thing until they hit an obstacle and then they quit. Those are 25% of people on planet Earth. Then he said there are achievers. Achievers are people who achieve at some level, but not at every level. Those are 24.99%. And then he said there are superachievers. Superachievers are people who achieve at virtually every level in their lives, 0.01%. Now, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. Have it how? More what? Abundantly. Now, watch. That word abundant means superabundant quantity, superior in quality, excess, surplus, supreme, superfluous, too much. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it as a superachiever. And yet, there's only 0.01% of people who are in that category. So I began to ask myself some very difficult questions. Go ahead and put these questions up. I want you to see them on the screen. Go ahead. You got them? Number one, is success elusive or is there just something I don't know? So he wants us to have abundant life. So no matter what your definition of abundance is, so it is at the very least too much. Having everything you need and then having access to plant into the kingdom in other places. Number two, is there a missing ingredient to success, prosperity, abundant living, love, joy, peace that is our rightful inheritance? Now listen to me. I want you to hear this. There is a missing ingredient. And I began to examine it in scripture and it's called heart beliefs. What you believe in your heart. This book will show you how to get what you believe, what you say you believe out of your head and into your heart. 800 times in scripture, the term heart is used. 
Just to put that in perspective, faith is used 247 times. It is one of the single most important things. The reason it's a missing ingredient is it's not that it's in the word of God, but it's been overlooked all of these years. Number three, I ask myself this question. Next, next one, guys. Why is it what I say I believe so rarely manifests itself in my life with any degree of consistency? I want you to hear this. Because we are caught up in having behavioral modification take place in our lives. I just heard a leading pastor in this country. He said his, his series for starting off in January is, in 2019, I will. It's all about behavioral modification. You have to learn from the inside out, not the outside in. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. And then lastly, I ask myself this question. Why is it when I begin to change, I have a short burst of energy and I go right back to status quo? And I find myself, we have a lot of you nodding your head, and I find myself at the same place year after year. Same place in my finances this year as I was last year. Same place in my health, or worse, this year as I was last year. Same place in my marriage, same place in my family, same place in my ministry year after year. How many believe it's time to break those limitations off our life? Come on, can I get an amen in this place? All right, so now I want you to look at Mark chapter 11 with me. And in the interest of time, I'm going to just go right to verse 22. Here is the passage that Kenneth Hagin put in the Bible. Come on, somebody. And I want you to hear as I go through this verse, because you're likely to hear some things you have never heard before about faith. And as we do this, we're going to talk about threshold-breaking faith. How many of you are ready to break through some thresholds in your lives in 2019? Now, I want to show you some things here. Because this passage really begins to answer the four questions that I talked about. So let's look at this passage together. Verse 22, chapter 11, verse 20. Let's, let's do verse 22, chapter 11. Here's what it says. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says, it will happen and it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, wherever, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you received and it will be yours. Now look at me. I've been talking to leaders, key leaders around the nation and the nations about the conspicuous lack of faith that has transpired in the body of Christ. And it's time that we began to really zero in on some things. And it's time that we got back to the manifestation of his kingdom in our lives. And I want to tell you something. The last key that I've got before this verse is this. Unless the blueprint of your heart is set for success, nothing you know, nothing you learn, and nothing you do will make any consistent difference in your life. And that's the reason why there's such inconsistency in our lives. And this is exactly what he's dealing with as we get into Mark chapter 11. So I want to show you some things. And this is a, an important key. The wrong definition of anything can cause misapplication or misappropriation of the kingdom of God. And so it's important that we understand faith. Now listen to me. I know we're in a faith church. I know, and you probably got every you know, verse in your Bible on faith underlined. But I don't care if you got every verse underlined until your Bible looks like a coloring book. The body of Christ is living beneath its privilege. Come on, how many know it's time for us to step into what God's got for us? All right, so now let's look at some things. So <clears throat> here are five keys that I want to give you quickly through this passage that will revolutionize and break thresholds in this year. So here's my definition. 
Here's my definition of faith. You can put it up on the screen. It is a principle that taps into the creative power of God, whereby man can transform conditions, situations, and circumstances in the natural realm. Listen to it again. It is a principle that taps into the creative power of God, whereby man can transform conditions, situations, and circumstances in the natural realm. Now, how many think that's a good definition? All right, but now, here's the problem with it. The problem is, it tells you it's the end product of faith, and it's not practical. So here's what's happened for us. Faith has become ethereal. So in this passage, he starts out by asking us, he says, have the faith of God. So what is faith? Here's principle number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. It comes out of the Greek word pistis or pistuo. And here's what it means. It means trust or trustworthy. So faith is, listen to this carefully, faith is abandoning yourself to the trustworthiness of God. Faith is abandoning yourself to the trustworthiness of God. So what's that mean? Faith is this. Faith means that I must trust the character and the motive of God. So what's the character of God? The character of God is this. He cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19, God's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Titus 1, 2, God does not lie. Hebrews 6, 18, it is impossible for God to lie. Now get ready to give me an awesome amen, complete with clapping of hands, stomping of feet, rolling the aisles, slapping your neighbor, and various and sundry aerobic exercises. I'll point at you and let you know when. Here it comes. Get ready. Here it comes. If God said it, that settles it. So what does this mean? What does this mean? So I have to trust in his character. He cannot lie. And I have to trust in his motive. What is his motive? His motive is love. So 1 John 4, 16. God is love. Now listen to me carefully. God doesn't just love you. He can't do anything other than love you. So love is always his motive. He always has your best in mind. I want you to hang on to that. So here's the key. I want you to understand this key. The end product of faith is not obedience. It is relationship. So many times I hear the end product of faith is obedience. No, it's relationship. Because, and here's why this is important. Because if it's obedience, when something goes wrong, you'll always look at what you did wrong. But if it's relationship, you ask this question. God, what do we need to do about it? What do we need to do about it? God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, I want you to see this. So if you understand what I just said, this makes faith easy. If I trust his character that he cannot lie and his motive is love, he always has his best in mind for me. That means I just simply have to go along with what he says. Let me give you an example. I'm in a church, mega charismatic church on a Sunday night. Crowd's about 2,000, 1,500, something like that. And I preached on something around the supernatural. I think it might have been on faith. And when I gave the altar call, it jammed across the front. The whole, this is a huge church. It was jammed across the front, all the way at the altar, and bound the aisles all the way back to the, to the balcony. And I'm sitting there looking at that, and I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, what do I do? I mean, I was, I was almost intimidated by so many people. I said, Lord, what do I do? He said, Pray for them, dummy. Good idea. So I stepped off the platform. And I started migrating through the crowd. 
until I, I came to a young man that I felt led to pray for. I looked at him and said, what do you need from God? And he, he moves out from the realm of my microphone and whispers in my ear, I have AIDS. It's like I ready to pray for him. And I thought my first, to be honest with you, my first thought was, do I have to start with AIDS? Couldn't I work with a headache and work my way up to start with that with AIDS? And here he says, I have AIDS. And I wasn't really intimidated. I went to pray for him and God stopped me and I looked at him and I said, I want you to know this, God loves you and he has your best in mind. Now watch, he was looking at me, but he, looked, he was looking past me. And all of a sudden he began to look at me eyeball to eyeball because he thought that he had disqualified himself from God because of the actions that contracted AIDS in his life. I laid my hands on the part of God, hit him, he fell out in the spirit. I walked down to the next person and I said, what do you need from God, ma'am? And she said, I have a congenital heart disease. I've been given weeks to live. I prayed for her, the power of God hits her, she fell out in the spirit. I went to the next person. I said, what do you need from God? He said, I have a terminal disease. And I've been just given a year to live. Come on, these are the first three people I prayed for. Now, by the way, the guy with AIDS, a month later, I got a report back, doctor's report back from him, healed of AIDS. And so... I mean, I pray for people. I cannot tell you how long I pray for people. And so after the service is over, I'm standing there milling with some of the people in the congregation. And this guy comes up to me. He goes, oh, he said, you must be such a great man of faith. I said, not really. I said, my faith is in his grace. My faith is not in my faith. He goes, oh, okay. He said, I need you to lay hands on me that I can get what you got. I look at him and said, no, no, you already got what I got. He said, no, you're not understanding me. You need to pray for me so I can get what you've got. I said, no, you're not understanding me. You've got what I got. He said, man, you are not understanding me. I need you to pray for me so I can get what you've got. I said, no, you don't understand me. You've already got what I got. He finally just grabbed my hand and went, just pray for me, would you please? (laughs) But he didn't understand. He had what I had. Amen. And so do you. Amen. Everything you need for life and godliness is already in you. Amen. Number two, second principle, confession. Put it up on the screen. So he says, speak to this mountain. Confession. Listen, I know you're in a church that talks about confession. But I want you to hear me because I see this all over the world. People who believe in confession don't really give themselves to confession in the manner that they should. You need to confess the truth of God's word, and not your circumstances. Can I get an amen? Amen. Confess the truth of God's, not of your circumstances, but now here's the problem. I see this all the time. People tell you what to do, but they don't tell you how to do it. So here's what happened. I did a a study, there's a a study called psycholinguistics, on confession, on self-talk, on affirmations, and here's what I found out. They said that confession works about 10% of the time. So I began to take a look at it. So here's some keys. When you confess, here's how you confess the word of God. First of all, three P's, personal, present tense, and positive. You have to do personal, I, present tense, M, and you have to do it positive. So if you say, I am not afraid of healing, uh, not afraid of flying, what happens is what you're really saying to your, to your subconscious mind, to your inner man, is this. You're saying that I am afraid because it's said in the negative. So you say it in the positive, personal, present tense, and heat, and and uh, personal presence is positive. Now, here's why this is important. Because 
as we're doing this, you say, well, how can I say I am healed if I have a doctor's report of cancer? Because Jesus' work is already finished. I'll show you this momentarily. And because it's finished, I can say I am. So a doctor's report may say one thing, but in the spirit realm, I already am. Come on, somebody. So watch. Then you have to confess it. And that gets into your personal belief system, into your heart 10%. And then you have to imagine it. You have to see it. It gets into your personal belief system 55%. If you confess it with imagination and emotion, you allow yourself to feel the emotion if it's already done. It gets into your personal belief system 100%. Amen. So let me tell you something. Several years ago, I went to a doctor, routine checkup. And in that checkup, he looked at me and said, Ron, you need to come back. We need to run further tests on you. I said, for what? He said, just come back. So it was a really an interesting test, like kind of going like the Disneyland, where they run a tube up your nose and down your throat into your lung, and he took a biopsy of my lung. And so a week later, he said, I want you to come back. And he said, well, Ron, he said, I've got good news and bad news. So this is a friend of mine. He's a doctor. He's a Christian. He said, I've got good news and bad news. He said, what do you want first? I said, we'll start with the bad news and end with the good news. And he said, the bad news is you potentially have a terminal disease. I said, what's the good news? He said, the good news is in your case, it's only terminal about 50% of the time. How many of you know that was not the good news I was looking for? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was faced with my mortality. What would happen to my wife? What would happen to my kids? And then I shook myself. I said, wait a second. I don't have to receive this. That's the, that's the doctor's report. But whose report will you believe? So I began to confess personal, present tense, and positive. I began to confess it. I began to see it. I began to allow myself to feel the emotions as if it were done. There was no healing in my body the first year. No healing in my body the second year. No healing in my body the third year. And I, I got to tell you something, but I stood there, and I'm going to show you why this is so important momentarily. And every time I'd walk into a church service and they would say, we're going to pray for the sick, I'd stand. I'd let somebody lay hands on me because I believed that there was, a, there was an impartation that took place every time somebody prayed for me, whether I saw it or not. And so <clears throat> after three years, I went back for some insurance purposes. I went back for another checkup. And he looked at me and said, um, he said, Ron, it's called burned out and non-progressive. I said, come on, doc, you're my friend. Is that anything like healing? He said, as a matter of fact, it is. You're healed in Jesus' name. <laughs> now listen to this. There's a difference between a miracle and a healing. The word for healing is a, is a Greek term, therapeuo. Therapeuo is the term where we get the English term therapy. Therapy is a deposit that begins to reap its benefits over a period of time. What you do between the amen and the there it is is very important. So your confession, your meditation on scripture, those kinds of things between the amen and the there it is brings your therapeutic to pass in a person's life. Thank God for miracles, but I also thank God for healing. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. You guys get anything out of this? Yes. All right, now, number three. Point number three. Number three is do not doubt in your heart. Now, I want you to hear this. This is something that is often overlooked in looking at this passage. So this term doubt that is used here is the Greek term diakrino. And it means to decide between two. But we want you to hear this. You will always believe where there is the most evidence. 
Please come back tonight. I'm going to show you some things tonight that will absolutely blow your mind. So he said, do not doubt in your heart because that's where you decide. you're always going to decide where there's the most evidence. So Proverbs 23, 7 says this. Above all else, guard your heart for out of it comes the issues of life. Above all else, the most important thing, above all else, guard your heart for out of it comes the issues of life. That term issues means boundaries. What you believe in your heart makes all the difference. You're going to decide between two, whether you're going to see the seen realm or the unseen realm. It is easier to believe what you see than what you don't see. That's why you have to practice what you don't see. I want you to see this. Guard your heart. For out of it comes the issues, the boundaries of life. Now watch this. John chapter 14, verse 21. You can look at it if you'd like to. John chapter 14, verse 21. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. I want to show you something here. This verse shows you something that, that is rarely seen or talked about in the body of Christ. This word keep, according to John Gill, Greek scholar John Gill, says this. It doesn't mean simply to obey. It means to write on the tablets of your heart by the finger of God and be kept under the influence of grace. Watch this. To write on the tablets of your heart by the finger of God and kept under the influence of grace. The whole, uh, uh, R.C.H. Linsky, Lutheran Greek scholar says this, to hold against all opposition, to allow something to be a dominant thought that gets down into your heart. And what happens is, he said, when you do that, you hold it against all opposition. That person doesn't simply love God in word, but loves God beyond word, and God responds to him and manifests himself to his life. Now I was in... Naples, Florida. I was doing a missing ingredient conference. We spent four days, five services, and we're talking about the missing ingredient, how to renew your mind, establish your heart, and transform your personal belief system. I really didn't pray for anybody for the first four services. In that fifth service that we had, I opened the altar, and that fifth night, that fifth service, the fourth night, the place was jammed. I mean, <clears throat> they were in overflow rooms. The place was just packed to the, to the gills. And when I gave the altar call, people didn't just come to the altar. They jumped out of their seats, and they ran to the altar. The whole altar was jammed. They were up the aisles. And I looked down, and as I looked down at, the, at that first row, I looked, and I looked at a woman that I caught my attention. I said, what do you need from God? I, f- I found out her name later was Mary Ann. Marianne said, I have ulcerative colitis. I've had it for 23 years. I have 40 food allergies. She said, but I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Now, listen to this carefully. Because we say things all the time that's cognitive. But all of a sudden I said, if he's already healed you by the stripes of Jesus, then it ought to manifest. And when I said that, it went from her head to her heart. I lay my hands on her. The power of God hit her. She fell out in the spirit. Now, listen to me. Most times when you're in a setting where you're praying for somebody, you don't fully know the results until sometime later. And often I'm out of town, I don't always catch that. But, I, but about 10 days later, I got a, a, uh, an email from her husband, Michael Camara. And Michael sent an email. She said, we went back to the doctor. She said, after you prayed, she felt so much better in her life. She went back to the doctor. And the doctor ran a set of tests on her and said, something's wrong. We need to run these tests again. 
They ran the test the second time. He said, I cannot understand it. But not only do you not have ulcerative colitis any longer in your life, you don't have one food allergy out of the 40 that you had. She was completely healed. Now, I want you to hear this. We have not seen non-supernatural things happen in any service that we've had all the way through 2018. They've all been supernatural things that have transpired in people's lives. And I want you to see this because here's because here now comes the point, and I'm going to amplify on this tonight. I'm going to show you some things that are going to put this in perspective in a way you will never forget, and it's going to be a revolution for you. But here's the fourth principle. Ask in prayer. Now, how many of you know there's a difference between New Covenant prayer and Old Covenant prayer? In the Old Covenant prayer, you beseech God so that he can move on your behalf for something in the future. In New Covenant prayer, the work is already finished, and because it is, he said, all you have to do is reinforce what he's done. So there is a, there is a word for prayer in Hebrew called palai. You put it on the screen. Palai means to judge or to assess. So he says you pray, but you judge or you assess. So in New Covenant prayer, what you do is you assess what's not like God, you align yourself to what is like God, and you access what God's got for you. Now, Isaiah says this. He says, concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. Concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. He said, are you trying to tell us that we're supposed to tell God what to do? No, I'm not telling you that at all. What I'm saying to you is this, that concerning the finished works of Jesus Christ, we have the authority to access that and manifest itself in a believer's life. Come on, somebody say amen. Then, lastly, last principle. Last one is this. Believe you receive. Believe you receive. You guys getting something from this this morning? Turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians. Chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 2. Grace and peace be unto you from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Now watch. 1.9% of believers can give more than one definition of grace. Grace. What is grace? Grace, unmerited favor. Grace, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Grace, divine influence upon the heart. Grace, empowerment. Grace and peace. Now watch. What grace gives, peace keeps. And so many times we receive something from grace that peace begins, the lack of peace begins to forfeit. So he says, grace and peace be in you from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Now watch. In this passage, there are four questions that need to be answered. So number one, the first question is when. Is this re- look at this verse. Is this verse written in past, present, or future tense? It's past tense. For those of you who are not English majors, this is past tense. Past tense. Now, the next question is with what? Every spiritual blessing. The word spiritual is used there in Greek means supernatural. He has already, in past tense, blessed you with every supernatural blessing. Where? In the heavenly realm. So that heavenly realm is just Paul speak for the fact that it's in the kingdom of God. So it's already done. The finished work is done in the kingdom of God. And, and if you look at this, 
And then he says, the last thing he says is how? In Christ. Through Jesus Christ. He has purchased this already and it's already done. So you can believe that you receive. I have a lot of other stuff I want to go into, but because of time, let me just finish with this illustration. So, how many, time, how many believe it's time for threshold-breaking faith? All right, listen to me carefully. When I was pastoring my first church, <laughs> things were going well, and <clears throat> I had one of our congregational members show up to my office. And uh, <laughs> this guy was a, a multi-million dollar lawyer, great late teacher of the word, just really good. He comes in, he says, Ron, he said, I've been trying to witness to a judge in our town. He said, he's got cancer, he's dying, I'm trying to lead him to the Lord, I've been unsuccessful. He said, would you mind going over to his house and ministering to him? His name is Judge Lee, gave me the address. He said, would you mind going over? I said, sure, I'll be happy to. So <clears throat> I left my office that afternoon, my little pastoral office. I got into my pastoral car. I took a little pastoral trip over to do my pastoral duty. And I got to Judge Lee's house, and big white house with pillars in the front, and I knocked on the door. It was a beautiful spring day, and there was a screen door that was there, and I knocked on it, and, and a hospice worker comes to the door. She invites me in. I walk through the living room, up the hallway, into his bedroom. And when I saw him, it knocked the pastoral duty out of my being. Because when I saw him, I'd heard about Judge Lee. He's a big man, over six foot two, well over 200 pounds. But he wasn't over 200 pounds any longer. He looked more like a string bean. He was, he was gaunt. He was, he was, his skin was gray. And you could tell he was on the brink of death. There was no bridge there. There was no faith there. I knew I couldn't pray for him or help him in any way because there was nothing there. And so I knew I had to build a relationship with him. I said, Judge Lee, what do you like to do? He said, I like to fish. Now, let me just say something. I hate fishing. I hate it. The way that I hate it. For an hour, we talked about fishing. But when we were done with that, I mean, lakes and rods and lures and all, we talked about it all. But when it was done, there was a connection. And I looked over at him. I said, Judge Lee, I've, have you ever made a decision for Jesus Christ? He said, I, he said, son, I grew up Baptist. He said, uh, he said I, I've heard it all my life. He said, I, I just really have never done it. I said, how'd you like to make that decision right now? He said, you know, son, I, he said, I think I would. He took those little bony hands of mine, those gaunt little hands of his, took them out, and I held his hands, and we prayed the, the sinner's prayer, and he got gloriously born again. It was awesome. When I was done, I was, I, I'd been there a long time. I said, Judge Lee, I'll come back and see you some other time. And, and as I was walking out, the Lord said to me, tell the man he can be healed. And I said, but Lord, he doesn't believe in healing. Like I'm expecting God to go, oh, I forgot. Here I stopped you on the way out of the room and everything. <laughs> so I turned around and said, Judge Lee, do you know you can be healed? He said, I've never heard of such a thing. I said, listen, I've just done a five-part series on faith. I said, let me have it brought over to your house. I said, why don't you listen to one of the tapes every day. I'll come back next week and we'll talk about it. He goes, okay. So the next week I come over, same scenario, beautiful spring day. I knock on the door. Hospice worker takes me up through the, through the living room, down the hallway in his bedroom. Same scenario. He was gaunt. He was, he was gangling. He was, he was thin. He looked like he's on the brink of death. But there was a little glint in his eye. He said, son, I've been waiting for you. He said, come back on in here. He said, sit down here. 
He said, I want to tell you something. I didn't do what you told me to do. You told me to listen to one of those tapes every day until you got back here and we talk about it. He said, I didn't do that. He said, I listened to all five tapes the first day, all five tapes the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day. He said, I listened to all five tapes before you got here today. He said, now let me tell you something. Next week when you come, he said, I'll be sitting up on my bed. Next week I'll be sitting next to my bed. The next week he said, I'll be in my, my living room. He said, week number four, he said, I'll be standing in your pulpit and I'll be telling the people I've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. That man prophesied his fate. The next week he was sitting up in bed. The next week he was sitting next to the bed. The next week he was in his living room. Week four, I got there. I knocked on the door. Nobody was home. So I'm standing there. Let me give you the picture. I'm, I'm getting ready on Sunday to preach my message, bitch. So I'm getting ready to preach my message. I'm standing there. And all of a sudden, in through the back door comes Judge Lee. He walked up the aisle, didn't wait for an usher, didn't wait to be seated, walked on the platform and took the microphone out of my hand. How I many of you know, the man had something to say? He said, I just got back from MD Anderson. They can't find any cancer in my body. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Threshold breaking. Go ahead, team. Limited life, limitless gospel. When thresholds are broken, you break out of your limitations. And I want to tell you something. God has something for every single person in here this morning. See, I'm not here for a healing. I'm here to tell you this. God wants to break thresholds in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your health, in your finances. My anticipation for this year is great. There's going to be a war. But how many of you know God is bigger than anything that happens around you? because of what happens within you. Yes, there's so many things that are going on inside of me and my time is finished, but I want you to, to hear this. There are thresholds in this church that are about to be broken. There's been a laboring process that has taken place and has taken place and has taken place and has taken place. And, place. and the Lord said, whether you realize it or not, they have been building upon each other for such a time as this. And what's about to take place is this church is about to break a threshold and there's about to be an explosion that you've never experienced in the history of this church.